This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art and music again, specifically Radiohead's monumental album, Kid A, Kid A, Kid a. All right. Uh, this is not necessarily the deepest cut, but we knew we wanted to talk about it and not do a solo show. So, of course, I am joined again by the lion tamer himself, Mr. T. Buck. Welcome, T. Buck. Thank you. I am the arch nemesis of Joe Exotic. Yep. Um, <laughs> I'm here to talk about an album that we bonded over over the years. It's, it's, it's a good good night to do it because it is freezing cold outside. So what better else to do than... Talk about one of your favorite albums. To binge on Kid A for many days. It's been cold for a while, so we've been yeah. binging on this for a little bit, and now it's time. And uh, delight your ears with why damn things matter, of course. So uh, before we get into the background, you know I like to do my little thesis statement. I'm a little old-fashioned and traditional because Kid A was not only a turning point for the band. It was also a turning point for music, the artistic community as a whole. I mean, they went from, we can we can all admit that OK Computer was an absolute masterpiece as well, but it still was a little bit in the alternative rock realm. And they didn't really embrace that, what, has, what they are now known as art rock, until I really think uh, this album, Kid A. And so it, it, it didn't just affect the music community. Of course, it, it, it monumentally affected them, but it, it, it affected so many people on so many different platforms and mediums from artists to musicians to filmmakers to actors to, you know, you think of the artistic medium and they probably were some way fashion, cut, and some capacity were affected by Kid A if they ever got around to listening to it, and most most did. So before we discuss the album as a whole, of course, we need a little background. Kid A is Radiohead's fourth studio album, released on October 2nd in the year 2000, right on the dot. 
It, of course, was produced by longtime collaborator Nigel Goodrich, and artwork was done by, of course, longtime collaborator Stanley Donwood. It had no singles or traditional music videos. It eventually got promotion through um, some animated shorts, and most importantly, something that we definitely want to touch on is the internet at that time. It's arguably one of the first times the internet was the main uh, promotional tool, which makes it uh, unique there from a business standpoint, which we've seen countless times with uh, Radiohead, a la my favorite album uh, in Rainbows, where they did a pay-what-you-want model, which was never really seen before that. And uh, this was not only a turning part for them artistically, but commercially as well. And uh, it was the first number one album in the U.S., and they won a Grammy for it. Of course, to really break it down, we need to just take it from top to bottom and go through every piece of the album and really dissect it as best we can. And I'm going to shut up for a minute, and we're going to start with everything in its right place. T-Buck? I mean, you know, when we're talking about musical influences on our lives and things like that, I've told you several times that this made me see music in a totally different light. And The album I, as a whole? Yeah. Or everything the album in its right whole, place? But... but everything in the right place is like this gateway. I remember list and why I'm saying this was a, a turning point in my life. I remember hearing the song and it's, it's layers of sound do, 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 and well, you're, you're listening to it and you you automatically realize like, this is probably what people were thinking when they listened to pet sounds for the first time or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, these, these huge, um, changes and and shifts in music and pet sounds maybe a sergeant peppers a sergeant peppers uh, you know i'm thinking you know you know pink floyd's work like dark side of the moon or the wall i mean you you're starting to really we hadn't heard anything like it beforehand we hadn't yeah exactly so i mean this (laughs) i this is such a great track to kick things off i mean people have written these their thesis, their master's thesis, like on this <laughs> song, theses on this yeah, shit. Um, or done projects with it. So it's it's just fascinating. I, I don't know about you, like when you heard it the first time, how how did you feel? I um, I felt probably I, it didn't hit me as much as from what it sounds like it hit you, yeah. um, but. It was, I think, even before I really got into music as almost in a, one of my ultimate passions. Yeah, one could argue I'm obsessed with music, or we both are, really. Yeah. Um, but it, that one really that one really hung on, you know, even when I was still, I, you know, we all had, we're not proud of it, but we all had um, musical moments in our past before what I call the enlightenment um, that we listened to music that was maybe not, um, you know, we look back with a little bit of um, shame is probably the word where we don't like to admit some of the albums or music we listened to as a kid. Had an album where the lead front man wore a, backwards fitted red cap and uh, i oh i am guilty 
of the same fucking yeah. thing. But uh, let's get back to everything in its right place. Um, I want to I want to dissect. I know normally on this show, on this channel, on this podcast, we don't uh, we don't dissect things through music theory as much as uh, we both me and Buck know music theory pretty well. I think there's a lot of other YouTube channels or shows that probably would dissect it much better than us. But I do. I can't. I feel like we can't talk about this album and definitely not the song without touching on that stuff because yep. it creates such a so it's it was made with a profit five uh synthesizer and it's just a, such a beautiful tone to start with oh, just yeah. that do 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 just that uh, I mean, he starts with the turnaround right and mm-hmm. because it has a four on the floor uh kick you know digital kick pulse and for the longest time before i really got into music and playing music and theory obviously i thought it was common time and it is 10-4 uh that it's written in um and um, I think this is, you know, this is the first time I saw Radiohead really playing with time signatures and uh, music theory like we've never seen before uh, to an amazing effect. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously we are both lovers of Tom York's use of his vocals as an instrument and not just as a leading vessel. And uh, we see that, of course, a little later in how to disappear completely, but everything in its right place uh, has those choppy cryptic lyrics that uh, doing some research for this i learned that um a lot of it was just nonsense just like random sentences or shit they they put into a hat i think for even yeah idiotech right yeah it's just just random there's not i mean i, I do you want to touch on anything on the music theory uh side a lot of people don't know this buck is a uh he's he's one half of our rhythm section he's a bass player so he probably has a lot to say about Colin, I would. Yeah. So Colin, like a lot of the way I play bass, I attribute to a lot of Colin style. But sometimes it's, I would say in the bass world, it's not the most flashiest playing sometimes, but the way he. Tasteful he, though. It's tasteful. Yeah. It's melodic. It's even. Melodic and complicated. I've always kind of um, atoned it to like, he's almost playing in circles. I, that's the best way I can describe it. What like, do you mean playing in circles? Tell the people that, that melodic kind of sound where it's just like an like you know, our like ostinato kind of cyclical pattern arpeggio or m- m- there's yeah. more to it. Yeah, I think there's a little bit more to it, but I I mean he especially in this you know this is some of his best bass work. I arguably some of the later stuff I thought he even did more, but th- this was you know and also an area where the band itself kind of started spreading out and trying different things you, you don't you see it a lot on the the later albums you know like bringing in things like a theremin or you know our guitar the guitar section not even playing guitars you know playing drums basically um for i think that's like a perfect that. segue to kid a the actual yeah. title track kid a and talking about the broad range of instrumentation going on in this album oh, yeah. i mean let's talk about that for a little bit i'm gonna let you go ahead and start as well here yeah so kid a kid another a, kid <laughs> a. <laughs> yeah i mean it's again it's another another sound like i i just was not expecting from radiohead when i first listened to this album but the way it kind of starts it's it's very um melodic and simple in tone it almost seems like you're listening to like droplets of water hitting something a little bit. Um, okay. It's the most descriptive I can say is what I th- I see it when I when I first hear it. What you know, Kid A to me is a lot of different things. When when they first talk when when we first hear this the piece to me it it has this it comes off almost like a lullaby. That's like, what yeah dun, exactly dun, dun, yeah. Dun. 
you know how they how they structure the phrasing of the how where the notes land is is pretty and sweet you know exactly and almost almost in a yeah almost like in a traditional uh lullaby structure because but then they uh they go into the rhythm section right and mm-hmm. we start hearing the, the vocoder probably probably the only thing that i don't think aged aged well probably not but it's it fits in the song because it feels like it almost doesn't really belong it still it. fits in the song yeah yeah but yeah i would say it's probably not aged as much as some of the other songs have with that and they have this one has a weird bridge right it has mm-hmm. that synthy middle part before they go back into the rhythm section and um i have a close writing music writing partner friend that uh maybe on the show one of these days uh but he uh he actually has a degree in music so he knows theory very well and he was talking about how they change from major and minor to minor to major a lot of key changes uh, Within yeah. the piece, I and mean, he described it to me. Obviously, I can't just hear that. I don't have that kind of ear perfect pitch. I'd have to study it, you know, um, through different platforms. Uh, just their use of scales and modes and changes and key changes and, and things like that is just kind of without parallel on this album, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely part of it. I think it's another part of what makes the whole song sound so unique. Um, you know, j- kind of a tangent here. Um, oh, oh. We, oh, are we doing we, are we doing a T-Buck I, tangent corner? I, I think we're doing a little bit of a T-Buck t- tangent corner. Are we, do it, are we doing a T-Buck tangent corner? Come, okay, come okay, over. okay. Let's, let's go down this rabbit hole. I'm ready. I'm ready. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Okay, I'm ready. Kid A actually has is one of my there's a very famous artist that did a cover of this it's actually one of my favorite covers of a radiohead song um but it's my only song that i like of this artist but he's huge do you know who that is oh god oh he puts me on the spot give me a minute kid a cover god that's a a very talk about okay now 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 we're doing deep cuts um I give me a hint. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I like playing this it. game, but I need a hint. You'll know it. You'll know it once I say it. Your body is a wonderland. Your body. <laughs> oh God, him. Okay, yeah. John Mayer uh, did a cover John of it. Mayer. I actually liked it quite a bit. I don't. He's, know. You know. Okay, I'm gonna go down your your tangent with you. Uh, you know, he got. I I feel like he gets a bad rap because he comes from pop roots, but the guy plays with the fucking Grateful Dead now. He's a really good guitarist. I feel like he needs from from the um, more snobbier pitchfork esque, yeah. you know, music lovers of the world. I think he, I think he deserves a little respect. Well, yes, I think as a guitarist and as a musician, he's yeah, he he did kind of come from that little kind of coffee shop. Yeah, pop, pop very pop sound. But I would say um, very cookie cutter. You, right, you have, to, you have to respect him for his talent and his abilities. He's I think he's even self-described himself as a, you know, a douchebag. So um, maybe that's why <laughs> we're people... not. We're, so we're not saying that. I'm Nova and Buck is not saying that. We're saying that he said that. Very good. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of those weird things that that's the only song by him I really like. So and um, okay, I'm gonna pull it back into back into Kid A because I was thinking of the rhythm section that dun, 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 dun. and um, oh. as many people as probably. Uh, People that listen to this podcast know probably know their Radiohead history that uh, they had to add an extra drummer for their last couple of tours, Clive Deemer of Portishead, and uh, they started playing Kid A live uh, because they couldn't really recreate it with just the five piece. They had they needed the extra drummer, and uh, it really just the 
when it gets into the the meat of the song, it is is so rhythmic. Uh, the drum lines are simple but so weird and unique and very tasteful. Again, Colin and uh, Phil Selway do an excellent job with the rhythm section, and it's just weird enough because there's not really a lot of like quarter or not not quarter note like two and four kind of snare hits. It's very mixed um, and muddled, if you will, but meticulously placed. Uh, I noticed when I was in subsequent listens of Kid A. But then we get to the national anthem. What a booming fucking song! And um, and we get back to that. You know, four on the floor kick uh, or uh you know snare on the two and the four fat back um and then there's just that grindy that that grindy bass that fun fact fun fact was not written by colin it was written by tom really yep did my tom did colin did you not know that i did not know this did colin actually play it or the tom they play he plays it live of course uh i think tom played it uh he played it for the the studio version of it but obviously when they're live you know colin takes over i did not know that and here's i feel like okay i'm gonna do a little dissection of the first three pieces together i like doing this with albums um the album is a mix of electronica in one way um but like uh, electronica in the vein of apex twin you know uh kraut rock uh in the vein of can and of course now in the national anthem we're seeing the jazz roots of radiohead love come out maybe a little bit of uh free jazz i well okay let's let's discuss because i I, you know when i first listened to the national anthem I thought it was complete improv, and after yeah. subsequent listens, those those horns that that was meticulously written. I think every line was written out by probably Johnny Green. Even towards the end. To yep. Well, no, I mean not when they actually do like the glissando, like the just the the mess, the messy part. I mean that that probably, of course, is uh, the the crescendo. Yeah, ending is is probably improv. I mean that has to be. I'm talking about the main parts, the main kind of meat of the of the the horn section. Yeah, again, it's it's like you're you're going almost in a different chapter of a book in this album. Um, things yeah, just that's a good way to put. totally switch um, style and, and form. Um, uh, funny fact, the first time I heard this song, maybe it was kind of somewhat like a single, even though they didn't have a single. This was kind of the yes, one, this was the one they played on a lot of uh, late night shows. Uh, I saw SNL, Saturday right? Night Live. Yeah, that yeah, was the last time SNL they were on. One. Isn't uh, that one of your favorite performances? I remember I, I remember when yeah. uh, me and Buck first met and we were were we were bonding over this stuff you would bring this this snl uh, rendition up because johnny greenwood would use like feedback from like an old tv or something to yeah old radio he, the, yeah. yeah he would he yeah he was like or it was a radio it was a radio or a tv I, I can't remember. I thought it was a radio, but yeah, might have been a TV. But I, I remember watching this as when I was a kid, too, and being just kind of mesmerized by the performance, like, you know, kind of seeing, you know, what later became a meme of uh, Tom dancing uh, in, in a couple of music videos. I, I like mean, his just, dance moves. <laughs> yeah, this this one, he's just more kind of, you know, rhythmically, not really dancing, but just kind of getting into the, the flow. Of his, the song he has here. weird head gestures yeah, and movements it's exactly mostly that it's yeah it's mostly uh, that, but, uh <laughs> i agree yeah, this was uh, the show that got them banned did it get a band i don't SNL. know if that because they yeah played, they didn't get banned because i saw them play like staircase 
you know, uh, on SNL a few years ago. What, probably did, more than a few years ago. Was they it? played Lotus Flower and Staircase from the King of Limbs era. Oh, that's right. They did. But for I thought for a while after that, they were kind of banned. Um, basically for making some political comments. I don't think they got banned. I think that got lost in the mythos of Radiohead oh, okay. lore. Um, it just sounds like something that would happen to them, though, right? It wasn't like uh, a Sinead O'Connor moment where she, Right, they're not ripping uh, up a picture the, of the Pope, picture of right? John Paul. Some yeah, shit. Yeah. That's what... <laughs> yeah, that, and then people started booing uh, when she did that. But um, yeah, no, I, I had always kind of heard... Maybe maybe that's true. It was maybe a myth that they were kind of banned for that. For I, I believe they were they were asking for um, somebody to. I think they held up a sign, let somebody uh, in the in the debates of that um, election year. Mm. I well, I guess they like, got over it because they're like, I "Come think- on, f- <laughs> come on back." That's right. I, that I totally forgot song. about that. I just had to look it up, and I was like, "Yep, Lotus Flower and Staircase." Yeah, but this is you know another great performance on their their live album that came out. I think releases after this, they have a great live performance of this too. Um, and it is I agree. Cool I you know, when we talk about it, I think um, the national anthem is the closest thing to they they have to a single on the album. And which is a good segue to the next song on the album, uh, track number four, because it's kind of the antithesis of a of a single. Right. How to Disappear Completely is arguably my favorite and best song on the album. This is this. This actually goes down as probably one of my favorite songs in their entire catalog. So I'm a little biased, but there's something about this piece that just, man, it moves me. You know, when people talk about being moved by art, the universe stopping and you're like, you know, you're one with the universe, like really hippy dippy shit. I feel that way with how to disappear completely. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. It's it's one of my favorite tracks. It's I felt like it was like a perfect track to end a night on. And a lot of times like when you're a young like you're, whip, you're going whippersnapper, out, you're going out, going out to the bars, uh, you going out to the night. bars, having the late nights. Uh Hanging out with your buddies. I, I, I this was always kind of the the song I would listen to on my uh, iPod video, which I was very uh, excited <laughs> to have at the time in 2005. I would that was the song I would like listen to on my like falling asleep playlist. Was this? Uh, let's talk about this. This is another one I want to talk about the structure a little bit. Okay. So um, I did a little homework, and I thought the piece was in like odd time, but it's actually in common time with just mm. um, weird uh, placements of how they use common time uh, a perfect example of this is one of our favorites too pyramid song you know it's often yeah. considered this really weird jazzy odd time piece and you you can it out it's, it's actually common time and it's just common time you know, the accents are just in weird places and stuff like that so another another journey over to t-bucks tangent corner i oh, remember oh, oh, oh. when ready. when i listened to that podcast of that pi- that piano um what was his name he's a jazz pianist but he basically was covering that. Brad Meldo. No, it wasn't Brad Meldo. It was somebody else. But they we were like covering Brad Meldo, it. and he loves Radiohead. So that was that was that was my guess. Uh, no, it was a different jazz, uh, or maybe it was a classical pianist. I think that w- it was a classical pianist. Anyway, I remember listening to this, and the guy was describing the Pyramid song. It was on uh, public radio. I was living in Arizona at the time. I was getting ready to fly out of the country. I hear this. I had to pull over and call you and tell you the pyramid <laughs> song 
is actually in in common time and that we were I wrong. Actually, I think I remember this moment. Yeah. And I was almost I almost missed my flight because we had this discussion but it blew me away. I, this is a perfect time to stop and talk about something we've always talked about in uh, not just this album but for the entire Radiohead catalog and that is the ultimate thesis that Radiohead music is music theory porn. We can't stop looking at it yeah and i think <laughs> i mean now especially <laughs> we can't stop looking at it. can't stop yeah we're we're addicted to it so i'm sorry hot. yeah we're addicted to it but but especially if you think about like the paths that you know especially like johnny greenwood has a lot in more recent history where he's kind of like uh our last podcast where we talked about uh trent reznor and atticus ross Johnny Greenwood is also doing uh, a lot of film scores now. So again, you're seeing that these people understand a lot about musical theory and what works and, and it definitely shows. And I mean, it does, you know, when you're taught this in school, you're always thinking about, you know, classical music or some sort of, you know, concert band and thinking about musical theory, but it can be applied to all aspects, especially experimental uh rock really and that's what these guys shine with perfect way to tie tie back let's go back round circle to how to disappear completely is the string arrangements so the harmonies Mm -hmm. so tom york's falsetto harmony harmonizing with the string sections in those those long out out, that long outro section where he's um he's just saying i'm not here you know over and over again but really like pulling those notes out right really I just think it's, and this is another thing I talk about a lot when I talk about radio, is their ability to be simultaneously beautiful and sad at the same Mm -hmm. time. Like, uh, maybe it's a mix of how they mix their music theory with major uh, and minor scales, you know, and Tom York having a falsetto, but talking about really dark things, like he can always, he can only really sound... kind of pretty i hate to say it that way but um but yeah when the music it's, it's is gut-wrenching it creates that dualistic nature right sure i mean yeah it's it's hard for me to describe this song a lot because a lot of emotion that you feel through the song and it's also been a song that i've listened to a lot of you know pretty uh, difficult times in my life but like you said all the parts come together and you know he, he has an interesting voice i would say I, he's not going to win any um uh, contest for having a beautiful voice or anything like that but it <laughs> definitely plays in to the their sound and like you said having another instrument tom's voice is that instrument whereas you know in a lot of bands it's it's more of kind of the thing that sticks out the most but it, it doesn't really necessarily always fit in to the sound if, if that makes sense well that makes now that makes perfect sense yeah it, it is it is hard to describe it's 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 just one of those pieces that i think here here here's how to sum it up it's in depending on what you read, it may have changed now, but it's Tom York's favorite song. He had uh, I really? remember there's an interview that they asked him if you had to pick one song, you know, to say this is the last remembered for. He said it was how to disappear completely. Um, I think that says that says everything it says a lot. Right. Yeah. Especially in their catalog up to that point. Um, and then we take another turn <laughs> with Tree Fingers, a completely instrumental track. Uh, it was an ambient piece. And we don't talk about um, Mr. Ed O'Brien enough. I think he is always he's always what's the word? You know, he I think he's kind of always the forgotten one a little bit. Yeah, he's always in the back. Well, he's kind of the lesser known 
probably Albuquerque. Not not forgotten, just I can't think of the word right now. It is slipping my mind. He's just not as valued. He's uh yeah. as that as the rest of the uh, the team sometimes. And I actually think I have I use this um analogy for the band. I I liken each member to a different body part of the human body. So Johnny is the brains, Tom is the heart, Colin uh He's like the the secret weapon, if you will. Yeah. You know, the part, the the stuff that holds things together that you probably have never heard of. And the human body version of that is like fascia. And of course, yeah, Phil is the the backbone. He's the musculoskeletal system. And then you have Ed, who is all of the connective tissue that does not get enough time of day, respect. But he is, he's the glue. I've always felt like he's the glue. So, um, so for all the listeners out there, uh, if you ever hear a weird effect or a tonal piece that's not necessarily traditionally musical, but it, it creates atmosphere and tone and texture, that's usually Ed doing that. Mm-hmm. He almost did this. Well, I haven't done enough homework to say this confidently, but he did enough effects on his guitar to at least create the sounds for Tree Fingers. I think it was probably pieced together in a lot of different ways, but he's really, I think, the the brains behind the track. Yeah, I, I think that was a good summary of Ed. You know, a lot of times when you see them perform or, or whatnot, you realize he's a lot of the backing vocals um, that you hear. Yeah, he's a great singer uh, too. He does, yeah, there's another really, example. Yeah, so um, there, there's quite a few songs where you realize, where you think maybe that's Tom maybe doing a backing track or something like that. And it's like, no, it's actually Ed kind of filling in. So, but yeah, I mean, this is, it's an instrumental piece. Tree fingers, probably the one song that sometimes I might skip ahead a little bit, but I think it's a perfect bridge though. Yeah. Isn't it like a perfect bridge to the album? Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like it holds the two sides together. It's an intermission, a bridge between the two sides because you know, the next song, um, optimistic and sorry, I'm segueing right into it, but I have to say, let's do it. This is probably the one song on this album that's closest to their previous work a little bit, but it still has that change a lot in it that that new sound influence. And as we've reviewed their other work um, and some of our other shows, I think that is always there's always one or two tracks that has that what I call the Radiohead DNA, where you could you could easily put it into an older record or even sometimes like uh nude or true love waits is the the fucking king of examples is sometimes they don't quite know how to make it in the studio and they put it in the vault they put it they put it away for a while and then they pull it out again when they're ready and they feel like it it lands yeah and usually like true love waits that's another great one where example of them having a song that they perform a lot live and it's, it, there's probably several versions of it too. And I think True Love Waits was out for, I want to say eight or nine. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure um, Ben's era, uh, maybe Pablo yeah. Honey. Uh, a little oh, bit. really? I, mean, I think it's been yeah. around forever. And they just yeah. never recorded yeah. it officially until till La Moonshade Pool. Yeah, it's like another song like that's Last Flowers. That was more of a Tom York solo song, though, right? Like the Eraser. Yeah. But, maybe well, even a little bit of um, Abs for Peace kind of realms. They still put it on a B-side. But yeah, they put it on uh, in Rainbows, right? 
B-side? Yeah, yeah, B-side of In Rainbows. But I think that was, you know, and we we saw that too when we, we've we seen them live in the King of Limbs. You know, Tom usually plays a song kind of by himself on the piano a little bit. Yeah, there's um, like an intro version to another song or something. Yeah. And True yeah. Love, they did True Love Waits a lot for right before everything in its right place. Uh, let's pull it back. We went down the, the tangent rabbit hole a little bit there again. Let's pull it back to Optimistic. Is there anything you want to say before we move on? I um I just I don't know I I I just like the song I like the song it's a great song I it, you know I I don't think I have to get more complicated than that yeah if I had to pick one song on here that was probably like could have stood a chance you know on on radio airwaves or kind of a you know song that would fit that kind of mold the best this is probably the one um but no I I've always really liked the song again it's another great song I this is probably again. One that I, you know, usually when I listen to this album, I, I don't separate the songs. I have to kind of listen to it all the way through. Um, but this is like the one track I have in some other playlists. Yeah, it can kind of be mixed anywhere sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the next one, not so much. In Limbo, yeah. I love In Limbo too. Uh, when I think of the song, it's so much atmosphere, right? There's a so much... Uh, there's so there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of texture to in limbo. That I, I uh, what always stands out to me is that that guitar line though that do 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 that like arpeggio. Uh, probably just I think he's doing it with his fingers. He may be using a pick. I don't know, but that da 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 grum. You know he does that. I, I'm pretty sure it's an upstroke full strum. And it and it comes in in the weirdest place. Yeah, it's. I think you're right. It's. I, I'm. I'm just like kind of. I had all the songs pulled up. See the Pull lyrics it up on the outline. Um, and I, I'm just remembering uh, <laughs> the. Uh, the I wrote an outline for this. God, I slave <laughs> over you. <laughs> I know. You don't respect me. I slave over this meal and these outlines. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just reading the 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 lyrics again in Lundy Fastnet Irish Sea. I mean, that's the first thing it starts out with in the chorus. And I, I just I love the lyrics that they come up with on a lot of these songs. A lot of these, you know, when I you listen to music, sometimes a lot of lyrics stick with you. Uh, this another one, uh, the whole you're living in a fantasy world. Sometimes I've always like kind of started humming that a lot. So this is another one of those songs where the lyrics really have stuck out to me. And you're, I, I would say of the two of us, you're more the lyrics guy. I, I feel like I, I almost never read lyrics. I, I like when the vocal melody is really just an in, another integrated part of the song structure. That's why, that's why I don't mind that a lot of their lyrics, when you just read it, read them straight is just yeah, like but that's because I don't care. <laughs> I was just making me chuckle when I was reading that because you're right. It's just like a lot of jumbled phrases and words that don't really make sense. But then when you hear it in the song, it's like, you know, maybe the sounds, yeah, well, that's something else. Maybe, you know, they pick, he picks those lyrics so that they meld more with the sound of the, you know, the melody of the song. I don't know. I, I think this is a good place to move on to Idiotech, which uh, is another favorite of ours. And I always heard, now this could have been, you know, manipulated through the the sands of time and Radiohead lore again. Uh, but I thought, I've read that each member of the band just wrote random either words or phrases or sentences, and they would cut them up, 
on a piece of paper, put them in a hat, and then they would pick it out of a hat, and that would be the placement of where it is. Yeah, I've heard that. something like that too. I don't remember the hat, but I just remember just playing random. You know, kind of, I, it was like a mix mash of a, a lot of random, s- random stuff that they've they've created over time. So, dun, 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 dun. now now I have that little that little synthesizer drum line in my head. Dun 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 dun. Okay, sorry. I'm not going to keep humming <laughs> drum lines for the rest of the show. Um, it's um, Idiotech is, I think, a an example of uh, embodies what the album is as a whole. And what I mean by that is, on paper, Idiotech should not work, right? Like it's it's like a track that just shouldn't work but when you hear it it works yeah the whole album is like that yeah it's it's like that with the songs it's like that with you know within the songs it's like that when you're comparing each song together um as its own piece it shouldn't fit together but it does that's a great way of stating it and and i i i do want to touch on the critical reception at the time i didn't know this until i was researching the history of the album for this piece, for the show. Um, I thought it was universally loved almost immediately. Not the case. It was universally hated by a lot of a lot of platforms, uh, you know, journalists and what have you. Uh, and it and it's another testament to this is why it, it's truly an art rock album and not an alternative rock album. It needed time. Yeah. And and whenever you have something like this, whether it's music or film. I think a lot of that is just because people don't know how to react to it. And so their immediate... So so different, yeah, like, you, it, like when we started the piece. When people immediately hear something that's different and they don't know what to really expect or how to react, Ew, uh, a I lot like of your it. first... Knee-jerk uh, reaction. Your knee-jerk reaction is, I don't like it. Um, I don't know how many albums I can tell you the first time I listened to it or a song and I was just like... Yes. I'm not really. Here's a good it. tangent. Here's yeah. a good rabbit hole. There's still some albums I cannot get into. Uh, still, even with time, and um, it's uh that famous Captain Beefheart album, Trout Mask Replica. Is that it? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I'm, I'm trying to look this up. <laughs> you know Captain Beefheart, right? Yeah, I know Captain Beefheart, but I'm I'm just not. Well, like his famous fucking album. I'm pretty sure it's Trout mask replica something like that i just i listen to it to this day and i still just i can't i can't i can't get into it what's yours you know it's it's chumbawamba (laughs) really (laughs) (laughs) do you remember that album like everybody i thought you had me for a minute i was like oh shit let's go down this rabbit hole but uh again another album that i feel like every kid got in their stocking in like 1998 or 9 you would go to like CD trade posts or some other, you know, CD a CD warehouse, warehouse or, or something like that. And there would be just hundreds of them. Okay. Uh, moving on to track number nine is morning bell, which uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Buck, but morning bell was, they did like a different version of this for amnesia. Right. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you, what's your favorite version? Is it the kid? A or um, amnesia? This one. Yeah. I was going to say this one, better one. The, I, th- I yeah. if I remember correctly, the amnesiac version is a lot slower a little bit more feel has more of a I think demo we should feel. talk about i think i'm going to give you the floor to talk about you perfectly you put it perfectly in our past uh when we've talked about this in the past is uh talking about amnesiac for just a second and, and you often refer to it as kid b yeah i've i've, I've called it kid b because it, I, <laughs> I you know it, it definitely sounds like um you know a b-sides album for kid a 
I still think it holds its own. I think, you know, my favorite Radiohead song of all time. Pyramid? Pyramid, Pyramid song. song. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely a B-side album that where they kind of replay a couple songs or do a different version of a song that's been either released on a full LP or, or an EP. And to all the listeners out there that may not know this, so... Uh, the Kid A sessions, if you will, like when they were recording music during this time, they made about 20 tracks. They they originally were going to release Kid A as a double LP, like The Wall or The Fragile, something like that. But they realized it was too dense of music, and that's why they separated it into albums. That's why it often gets this um, moniker, Kid B, that it's like the B-sides of of what they put on kid a i think yes is it can it hold a candle to kid a no but since we're dealing with the standards the quality standards of radiohead they're still really great pieces some of my favorite pieces that they perform live is on amnesiac i think it was a rolling stone or some somebody said amnesiac the hardest part about listening to the album was trying to stay awake um <laughs> out yeah Jesus. um and i think people thought it was way Ouchie. too slow and maybe a little too um a little too different uh, it was probably pushed some boundaries more than in kid a in some respects so i think there's still some tracks on there that are real hard to listen to to be honest yeah but i i think what i've told everybody when they've gotten into radiohead or like what album should they listen to I always say Kid A and then immediately listen to Amnesiac afterwards. Um, really? Yeah. If Okay, wait. Let's let's back up. So if someone has never in their life heard Radiohead. No, no, no. I I don't start with Kid A. I say when I get to I meant when I get to the Kid A point. Oh, okay. Because like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do like a gateway drug, if you will, of Radiohead, where I'm like, okay, you may not like a lot of their music, but you're going to like this if, you, if you're going to try to get into them. And that is, I think, in Rainbows, and maybe a close second mm. is OK Computer. I, I usually tell people OK Computer at first, because um, a lot of people know Creep. And it's their the worst same. single. I've always said that. Well, I mean that. I mean, it's a great sing. It's actually a great song. But in, again, this is, don't don't come after me, Twitter mob. If, it, relatively speaking, in their catalog, it's their worst single. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree <laughs> Go get well. Go after T Buck, not me. Well, no, and the band, the band, uh, the band. I think has stated that 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 song almost broke them up. They they got so tired of playing it. They now in you know their later years they've been playing it again. Um, So, but yeah, I think here's a fun fact. I think someone was yelling it like "play creep, play creep" like enough that. I read that Tom York was like, okay, we're going to fucking play Creep for you. And like he, they dedicated the song to the guy in the back that was yelling Creep. That's awesome. <laughs> what a great thing. Yeah, what an awesome thing. Okay, last on our list is Motion Picture Soundtrack, another very experimental piece. Mm-hmm. There's a harp that comes in the middle of it. It's, it's, a, it's you know, it's not a single. It's, it's a very experimental piece. It works on the album. It's a good outro piece. Yeah. Um, and then there's a hidden track or often called a hidden track. If you listen to the album all the way through without, uh, going straight into everything in its right place. And that really closed out that I don't really have much to say about motion picture soundtrack. Uh, if you have anything to say, I'm going to start. It's another great kind of, I, I would say it's almost a companion to how to dis- disappear completely to an, to an extent, but yeah, it's, it's a nice like little close out, not my favorite track on the album, but it's definitely i think it rounds everything out well yeah it closes it down well and 
I I remember them saying that part of the reason they didn't want to make this a double LP, just like I mentioned before, is that the collection of songs here are very dense. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I was listening to it again, you know, over and over again for the show, um, I realized, man, it felt short. I, I remember, I remember in my oh yeah, just yeah. The, my memory, I was like, it felt so huge and big and long. But when I listened to it again recently, it was such a short album. But when that that last, you know, when that last second hits and it goes right back into everything in its right place, that's when I like smiled to myself. I was like, okay, this is one of those perfectly cyclical albums Mm -hmm. where, yes, it's dense. Yes, it's a little shorter than your memory may. You may remember it. But as soon as it starts over again, you want to listen to the whole thing over again. Yeah, you're you're sad that it ended. Like it's like a good movie. You don't want it to end. And this album has been a major influence on a lot of people. I think it jump started a lot of the sound that we later started hearing from some bands. Um, a lot of bands reference this album. Um, if if you look at a lot of albums of the decade lists, they all list this as the best album of the two thousands. It's an impressive piece. I think it's something that will go, will continue to go down that realm and, and fit in with albums. Like I said earlier, like Pet Sounds, Revolver, um, Dark Side, you know, these pivotal moments in, in music. Um, and Chumbawamba. There you have it. Yes. And Ch- <laughs> That's right. You get knocked down, but you got to get, get up again, again. blah, blah. Blah blah, all that shit. <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. Uh, Kid A from top to bottom. This is another example of why damn things matter. Arguably, an album that I have read things that said this has literally influenced everything that came after it. So do yourself a musical favor and listen to Kid A and fall into their the rest of their catalog if you want as well. We highly recommend it. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. But before we go. Oh, you thought we were done. Before we go, of course, we have a little icing on. We have a little icing on the cake, right? We like to do a little something special. We call it our gym of the week. Uh, My gym of the week is a little broad, and it is instead of just one track or one album, what a lot of people don't know about Radiohead is they have a long, long history of EPs. And not not a lot of people release the EP anymore. It's usually they release B-sides where they still do the old-fashioned EP, two or three tracks that didn't quite make it on the album that aren't necessarily B-sides. I actually would argue that some of their best work is on these EPs and that they should have they should have had a spot on some of these albums, but for some reason, they just felt like it didn't fit for some reason. And so they gave it their own spot, like in the EPs. There's there's so many, God, I, I don't know how many EPs off the top of my head they've released, but they've done it since the, the, the birth of their career with Pablo Honey, and they've done it all the way down to uh, Moonshape Pool, just releasing these little chunks of music that just don't fit anywhere else, but they still want to release it to people. Um, some of my favorites are Spectre, uh, Go Slowly, mm-hmm. Um, and even the old version of True Love Waits. Um, yep. I think the mo- one of the most famous one is, is, is the I Might Be Wrong um, EP, I think, from the Amnesiac days. And it is <laughs> they're they're just they're just another piece to the amazing puzzle that is Radiohead. They even covered um, Carly Simon's song, uh, the theme song. Oh yeah, they do covers every once in a while. Right? So uh, it's a theme song to one of the James Bond movies, but it's the can't remember. Oh the name yeah, of it. you sh- you introduced <laughs> me that for the first time. Yeah, they used to do this uh, back in the day. Um, I think it's best I ever had. I'm 
trying to remember the song but yeah it's it's definitely um an unusual cover but tom york has stated uh that it is one of his favorite songs he thinks it's the sexiest song ever made and so he'd love to sing it well uh, as always you can follow us at underscore novo underscore day and at novo day media if you like this and a little of that you can also check us out on novodayproductions.com and check out some of our other works uh, including the entropy sessions adulteration post meridium and much more to come so until next time guys be good to each other and as always good luck and godspeed we love you Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.